Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 15. It's titled, Stop Worrying About the Next Market Crash. I had a number of interactions this week. One was an email I, I got from an acquaintance. He's in his 80s. He's absolutely convinced the conflict between Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip this time is going to lead to World War III. He also interacted on Facebook with a friend, and he was concerned that financial doom was imminent just around the corner. Finally, I listened to the Rich Dad, Poor Dad podcast, and they had on an economist by the name of Richard Duncan. And Richard was absolutely convinced that the market, the stock market, was going to crash by the end of the year because the Federal Reserve was withdrawing their stimulus through their quantitative easing program. Now, before I talk a little bit more about these examples of this worrying about the crash, worrying about a dollar collapse, worried about a recession or a depression, I want to share an experience I had in our Idaho town a few weeks ago. I was driving home, and there were some storm clouds over the town that I could see, thunderstorm clouds. And I thought, hey, it, it looks like it might rain. There was about a 30% chance of rain. This time of year, we get some of the monsoonal flow up from the south, and so a thunderstorm occasionally is not out of the ordinary. So I got home, and sure enough, it began to rain. Although this time, the storm didn't move. It just stayed on top of our town. It rained two inches in less than an hour. Rain, hail, streets started flooding, the basement started flooding, canals overflowed, and it was a flash flood and a storm that, that I had not seen in the 12 or so years I've lived in this part of Idaho. Now, two inches of rain might not seem like very much for you, but that's 15% of our annual rainfall within an hour. That is what is called a, a non-linear system, something that was completely unexpected because typically storms move on. The Weather Bureau didn't predict it. Nobody anticipated this type of flooding. We were out helping our neighbors. We had one neighbor that had about six feet of water in their basement because of a canal that had overflowed. It was unheard of. Now, a nonlinear system is one that does not produce the same result every time, even though the inputs are the same and the conditions are the same. So, in, in the case of a thunderstorm, it, it, it very, very similar conditions, but this time, for whatever reason, it was the most severe 
water-soaked storm we had had in decades. Let me give you another example of a nonlinear system because we're going to apply it to the markets, the financial markets here, in a few minutes. There is a, a researcher, a Danish physicist and biologist by the name of Per Bach, and he was written up in a book that I really like. It's called The Age of the Unthinkable by Joshua Cooper Ramos. And Per Bach, he researched sand, grains of sand, and he would do these studies where he would drop one grain in the sand at a time, and eventually that would form a cone-shaped pile that seemed relatively stable. At some point, though, a grain of sand is dropped, and it causes an avalanche. Now, you would think that the avalanche would start with more or less the same quantity of sand in the pile. But that's not the case. Sometimes the avalanche starts with only a few hundred grains of sand. Sometimes it starts with thousands of grains of sand. It's completely unpredictable. And, and so that's an example of a nonlinear system where even though the conditions might be, seem the same, the results are not. Now, the timing of the avalanche is not a function of the size of the pile, but the dynamic interaction among the pieces, how they shift and slide relative to each other, and, and the internal pressures that are very hard to measure. But they do create avalanches. The more grains of sand, the more interactions, but the more difficult it becomes to predict what will occur. Financial markets are like piles of sand and thunderstorms. They're non-linear. You can have the same conditions, the same starting conditions, apparently the same inputs, but you might not get the same result. There is a special class of non-linearity called a complex adaptive system. And what a complex adaptive system is, it's comprised of a wide variety of interconnected inputs that learn and adapt over time. Think about what the financial markets are made of. Millions and millions of individuals, human as well as computers, trying to analyze reams and reams of data about the economy, about politics, about business, about technology, about human nature, and, and everybody's trying to analyze it. And they're reacting to what's going on, and they're learning, and they're adapting. And the level of complexity there is so much greater than a simple pile of sand. But think about that. Research like Per Bach, who spent decades studying these piles of sand and the avalanches that would occur and trying to predict, financial markets are so much more complicated than that. In fact, here's a quote from Pierre Bach. He says, As one attempts to make predictions further and further into the future, the amount of information one needs about the initial conditions increases exponentially. In other words, in order to predict accurately, we need to know what the starting conditions are and what the inputs are. And then if you have that, then you make a prediction. But with a pile of sand, it's just, it's just the grains. And yet it's very, very difficult to determine what, when an avalanche would, uh, will occur because of the interaction, the connections, the hidden connections. 
In 2008, before the financial crisis hit, there was an article published in the journal Nature by some ecologists. And it was called, the article was called Ecology for Bankers, and it was written by Robert May, Simon Levin, and George Sugihara. And they were, they were talking about ecosystems. Ecosystems are another example of a complex adaptive system. An ecosystem would be you have rivers, you have streams, you have grasslands, you have forests, kind of all together. That's an ecosystem. And you have all these inputs that are constantly adapting and evolving over time. And in some ways, it's very much like the financial market. Here's, what, here's a quote from this article. Quote, catastrophic change in the overall state of the system can ultimately derive from how it's organized. In other words, it's starting conditions. From feedback mechanisms within it and from linkages that are latent and often unrecognized. Then change may be initiated by some obvious external event, such as a war, but it is more usually triggered by seemingly minor happenstance or even unsubstantial rumor. Now, bad things happen, catastrophes happen, huge changes in these complex systems. An example of an outside disturbance would be a forest fire. That would be like a a war in terms of the, the politics today. But with the financial system, think about what I discussed in episode 11. We, you had this crash that occurred in the stock market after this particular journal article was published in July or September 2008 is when Lehman Brothers failed and the market fell precipitously. And if you recall from episode 11, what was the ultimate trigger for the economic collapse that occurred? It was re- repurchase agreements, repos. And you can listen to episode 11 and, and learn about what repos are and how that influenced it. But there, there was a trigger that started it that nobody anticipated. And that's where we talk about, you know, what do we do in the face of such unpredictability when oftentimes what happens or what triggers a crash or some other absolute surprise is not something people anticipated. Here's another example. In the 1950s, scientists believed they had solved a very complex problem of maximizing how much fish could be caught within the fishery fishery without overfishing. This was oceans, streams, and, and they had these very, very complex formulas, all these inputs that they could determine so they could figure out, well, how, how many fish can you take out and still have a sustainable long-term population of fish. And the scientists patted themselves on the back, and and they let everybody know about this, these maximum sustainable yields, and it was a crowning achievement for science and ecology until the fish population collapsed, and and they couldn't figure out what it was. So they did some later analysis, and they realized there was something they hadn't factored into their model. Once the lakes and streams became sustainable in terms of the the amount of fishing that could be done, it attracted more fishermen who came and brought in trash 
And that trash blocked the waterways, which killed moss that the smaller fish ate, and the larger fish ate the smaller fish, and the population collapsed again. And, and it was something completely unanticipated. And that's the way financial markets work. There are so much input, so much data. It is so complex that ultimately we have to accept that the financial system is, is unpredictable. And just like a pile of sand, while it might seem relatively stable, within that apparent stability, there is a lot of instability, a lot of the, the internal pressures, these hidden linkages. And so how, what should we do in the face of this unpredictability? Well, first, it should be obvious. Don't listen to doomsayers who are convinced financial calamities are imminent. Nobody knows. There is, it is just too complicated of a problem to, to trust somebody that believes that the sky is about to fall. So don't waste your time. Now, what else can we do? Well, just like a pile of sand... Avalanches are infrequent, and so a logical course of action is to assume the next grain of sand that hits the pile will not cause an avalanche. Most of the time, when a grain of sand hits the pile, the avalanche doesn't occur. And it's the same with the markets. Most days, the markets don't crash. And so we shouldn't live in a way that we're constantly fretting about this market collapse, this financial calamity. Just live our lives and enjoy meaningful lives because, yes, those times will come when financial calamities, when there's a market sell-off, when there's a bear market. But if we spend every day worrying about it, it will make us absolutely miserable. My approach is not to worry about it recognize it's unpredictable, and, and then it can't be predicted. The more specific the prediction, the more likely it's going to be wrong. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com.
If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Now, you might be saying, David, how could I not worry about the next market crash? My portfolio was absolutely decimated in the last one. My parents couldn't retire. My grandparents Well, that gets to step three and four, what to do in the face of this unpredictability. Recall that step one was don't listen to doomsayers. They don't know. They don't have the answer. The world and financial markets are too complex. Second, assume that the market crash, when it does occur, is not going to be today. The next grain of sand will not cause the avalanche because most grains of sand don't. So live your life assuming the day is not going to be the day when everything falls apart. Third is, and and here's how I can function and not worry about market crashes, is to make sure that I scale my risk to my ability to recover when that eventual market collapse, that eventual recession occurs. In other words, a younger investor, for example, they have a great ability to withstand market downturns because they have more time to recover from the losses. Their account balances are smaller, and so the impact of a a loss is not going to ruin their retirement. And they're continuing to save, and so they can afford to take more risk. So one way to adjust is to make sure, and we talked about this at length, in the last episode, episode 14, are you a complacent investor? Because we, we, I, I described this concept of standard deviation of variability and how wide the range of returns are for the stock market. Recall I said, and I don't know the, the specific numbers, but I said upwards of 40 45% on the upside and negative 30 on the downside in a given year. 95% of the time it comes between that. And so you can't have 100% of your portfolio in stocks if you're in your 40s or your 50s because when a downturn occurs, that could very much upset your retirement plans. When you're younger, you, you can afford to have more exposure. Now, another way is to, to be resilient. And, and certainly you scale your, your portfolio risk, but you can... Be resilient in other areas of your lives. I had 
a an email discussion with a friend of mine named Gwen Bell, and she was listening to episode 10 of the podcast, You'll Never Be Rich, But You Live Like You Are. She had a wonderful quote. She said, Wealth to me is an apartment I love, healthy petzolitos, flexibility of body and mind, and good tea. Now, petzolito, I ask, well, I don't even know what that is. I, I speak a fair amount of Spanish, and I hadn't heard of that word, and that was sort of her nickname for these these betas fish that they they have down in the part of Mexico where she, she's living. But she, Gwen, is immune to the next market downturn because she has simplified her life so much that she's not dependent on on the markets, financial markets for her livelihood at all. And and she is a uh, quote unquote a minimalist, but lives out of one suitcase and simplified it. And she's resilient for whatever happens. So that's one way to do it is, is just pare down your possessions and everything you have, your life, simplify it so much that you're immune to what happens to the economy in the financial markets. Most of us can't do that. Most of us have to scale our risk and make sure that we're not taking too much risk in our portfolio so that when bad things eventually do come, we can recover. Now, the fourth thing that I do and you can do in the face of unpredictability is to recognize why, you know, although we can't predict when the next market crash will come, when the next recession will hit, we can be aware of what the conditions are. Think about the weather forecasters. Yes, they can't predict when a severe storm will hit a specific town, but they can look at atmospheric conditions and determine when the probability of a severe storm is high. That's what I do in my profile. I, you, can buy, you can buy and hold and strategically allocate your portfolio, rebalance occasionally, not worry about it because you've scaled your risk to your ability to recover when bad things happen. But you can also adjust your risk based on market conditions. What are some examples of market conditions? Valuations, when the stock market or the bond market is priced very high, that's a time to reduce risk. I gave an example of that. In episode 14, when we talked about the non-investment-grade bonds, these junk bonds, high-yield bonds, how many investors that are, are invested in them, earning 5%, and have no idea the risk that they're taking in terms of default risk and what would happen when markets get fearful and the spreads of the differential between treasuries and what you're getting with the high-yield bonds start to widen dramatically. That's an example. And so valuation is something I'm mindful of. I'm mindful of the level of euphoria and greed in the market. When investors are, are very, very greedy, that's also conditions that are ripe for some type of downturn. And you can look at debt balances. You can look at whether the economy is slowing. In one of the early episodes of the podcast, I, and I don't recall the number right now, I'll put it in the show notes, it was, can you predict the economy? And I, and I talked about the surveys that are done, these PMI surveys that, that help you predict, not predict exactly when the economy is slow, but get some evidence. And so you can look at the conditions. 
Conditions and making adjustments to your risk based on conditions is not trying to predict specific future events. It's simply risk management. It is investing on the leading edge of the present. The other thing you can do is because markets are so complex, so difficult, so many inputs, is to use simple rules. And and so my the way that I invest is not terribly complicated. I'm mindful of valuations to do risk control. I am mindful of what the central banks are doing in terms of the amount of liquidity. That was a rule, don't fight the Fed. And I'm mindful of the momentum and fear in the market. Don't fight the tape. When there's momentum in the market, the next day, the next week, usually the market is going to go up. It's going to continue. In other words, there's that continuance. That next grain of sand will not necessarily cause the avalanche. It will happen someday. And, and we talked a little bit about that also in episode 14. I am a big proponent of simple solutions. And, and one example that, that I like is from a, a book. Oh, I don't remember the name of the book, but it was written by the last name of the author is Gig Gorenzer. And I think it was on, on gut feelings. But he gave an example of the gaze heuristic. Think about our ability to catch a baseball or any ball that's shot, that's shot in the air. It, we don't sit there and calculate, well, here's what we're going to do exactly at this moment and, and put on all these formulas and do essentially the maximum sustainable yield ability to catch a ball. No, we use a gaze heuristic. It's a simple rule. We fix our gaze on the ball, we start running, and we make sure the angle of our gaze relative to the ball is even, and then incrementally we adjust as things happen, and we catch the ball. It's a simple solution. Most investing can be boiled down to simple ideas. You can buy and hold, strategically allocate, and make sure you've scaled your risk so you can recover, or you can adjust your risk simply based on market conditions. Valuations are high, you take on less risk. Investors are overly euphoric, you have less risk. Economy appears to be slowing, you take on less risk. And you move into areas that are opportunistic, where valuation is very, very cheap, where investors are fearful, and where things are improving. So that's episode 15. Stop worrying about the next market crash. I wanted to share with you a review. This is from Abhay DDN. And he says, high quality works. He says, the the podcast episodes are succinct and able to convey some complex concepts to the listener very well. I subscribe to several personal finance podcasts, and I have to say, this is the one where I've gained some basic yet hard to fully grasp knowledge. I guess this kind of quality comes when someone is doing something for the sheer love of it, and it shows. Well done indeed. Thanks, Abhay. And I I read those podcast reviews because I want to encourage you to to leave a podcast review. Leave some stars on iTunes. Leave a review. Leave a review on Stitcher. That helps individuals find the podcast, learn more about investing, learn more about the economy, and learn more about the principles that uh, I share on the podcast. Just a reminder... Everything I've shared with you on this podcast is for general education only. I've not made specific predictions. 
and I have not considered your risk profile at all. Simply education. You can reach me if you have a question or a suggestion for a podcast episode at jd at jdavidstein.com. You can get on my insider's guide if you get on my website, moneyfortherestofus.net. Insider guide, I'm always sharing things that didn't necessarily make it in the podcast. Particularly, there's graphs that I use, and I mentioned this last time occasionally, that I'll share on that, that insider's list that I can't put on the website because of my contractual agreement with some of the research services I use, right? but I can share it to my insider's list on the email, and you can sign up for that on moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where I, I give you a preview of what the episode is about to see if you want to listen or not. Hopefully you want to listen to them all. I can also be reached on Twitter at J.D. Stein. If you have a quick question, podcast is available on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on SoundCloud. I appreciate you listening next time, episode 16, next week. Thanks. Thanks.